0: My name is Lisa Schwartz. I am the founder of Crazy Eight Ministries. Uh, The most popular question that we get about Crazy Eight Ministries is, what's up with the name? And so I'm going to tell you what's up with the name, and it gives you an op- gives me an opportunity to share with you some of my favorite parts of life, and that is my husband and our six children. So Brad and I have been married 28 years in October, uh, and we have six children, three boys, three girls, a lovely daughter-in-law, and we're about to get a son-in-law as well. Now, most people, when I tell them that, they ask uh, the same questions, and one of the questions is, did all of them come from your body? And the answer to that is yes. And the second question is typically, do you know what causes that? And the answer to that is yes as well. We do know what causes it. We did plan all six of them. We couldn't have picked three boys and three girls. The Lord did that for us. But we are blessed with children from the ages of 25 down to the age of 11. And so we are a very busy household. And that is where the name Crazy 8 comes from. Now I'm going to keep watching this thing here so I don't trip up. That would be a win it. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> So that is where the name Crazy Eight comes from. But prophetically, let me share with you what it means. What it means is Astounding New Beginnings. And so if you take a look at the word crazy in the Greek, it means "existemi," which comes from the word in Acts, when the Holy Spirit moved into the upper room and began to move in the room. And it, the Bible says that the people were astounded or they were put out of their mind. That is the Greek word "existemi," which is where we actually get our English word ecstasy, the drug, the street drug. I work with homeless people, y'all, so um, don't judge me. Uh, I, but I know the names of drugs. So that's where we get the English word ecstasy come, comes from, which actually means to be a put out of your mind. And so in the Greek, there's, this, think, and there's this, this idea of being astounded to the point of being blown away or being put out of our mind by the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's exciting, isn't it? So you can't make that stuff up. God has the words that we can't necessarily put in the English language. But that's where the part crazy comes from. And the number eight is a new beginning. We know that God created the world in seven days, which is the number of completion. So number eight is a new beginning. So if you put the two words together, what we have is an astounding new beginning. And that's the crux of what we're doing at Crazy Eight Ministries. We're, bringing, we're coming alongside people, whether it's through the free biblical counseling that we offer or whether it's through one of our housing programs where somebody comes in, men, women, and children. We currently have 52 residents. Twenty-five of them are under, 26 of them are under the age of 12. Actually, we're getting ready to have an itty-bitty. So that is, we're coming alongside of them, and we're giving them a chance to reset, to restart, to start over a new beginning, Because I believe we serve a God of infinite chances. I believe that when we say he is a redeemer, that we as a people tend to put a box around the word redemption, but our God does not. That his redemption knows no bounds, and it doesn't matter how long, how far, how deep, how dark your life has been. There is a light, capital L, that can pierce into any darkness and set the captive free. And it's one thing for us to say that, but I get to see it. On a daily basis, I'm excited to tell you that we have a 98% success rate. Meaning the the women, the children, and the men who have come all the way through our two-year program are now 98% of them have been set free. Meaning they are above what we call the poverty barriers. Now how many of you know that all of the Old Testament was God moving his people from the land of lack into the land of plenty? Right? People ask me all the time, so you believe in the prosperity gospel? Well, I'll tell you, I don't believe in a poverty gospel. Because the God I know in the Bible I read says he doesn't just fill my cup, that my cup overflows. That's the God I learned about. The God I know about says he didn't just feed the, ba- the multitude, but there were basketfuls left over. The God I know about didn't just fill the fisherman's net, but there were fish being chucked in the nets of other people around them. See, that's what the kingdom should be like. Where we have such a plethora of goodness and of greatness that we're chunking it out into the world. That our lives are so overfull and and so overflowing with the presence of the Lord and the goodness of his love that we can't help but throw it into the boats of those around us. And that's what we believe in at Crazy Eight Ministries. We're coming alongside these people. But you know, how many of you know that there's a truth that we know and then there's a reality that we live? Can I teach you tonight? Can I just teach you tonight? See, because what I want to do is I want to jump to tomorrow and have this altar call and have everybody just experience the presence of the Holy Spirit and bam, be changed. But the reality is we've got to figure out how to get from here to hear. We've got to figure out how do we get to the reality of what we know for what's being spoken. Some of you in the room tonight are, are hearing truths being spoken. You're seeing people sing and you're saying, man, I can tell they really believe that. And I know it. There's a knowledge that I have, but there's a reality that I'm living within. How do we connect those dots? How do we do more than live a life of emotion and inspiration, but live a life of reality how do we do that? I love the theme of this of this conference. This is me, and and we've been <laughs> we've been traveling all over from conference to conference. Today I spent some time praying and just uh, usually before I st- I go into a conference I I don't want to read the message and I don't want to review it one more time and so I just I'll pray and I'll say Lord just just make me ready, God just just prepare me, and I began to have. Uh, great revelations, and they were all of next week's conference. (laughs) I thought, well, no. But then I began to pray about this conference, and the Lord spoke one word to me. I'm going to tell you what that word was, and it was the word energy. It was simply the word energy. And I, I was excited that even as, how many of you felt like spiritual energy in this room? As your worship team was just leading the way into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Into the presence presence of an almighty God. Ushering us into the most high place. Beyond the outer courts, beyond the inner courts, and into the holy of holies. And there's a spiritual energy that God has blessed us with for this weekend. And I believe that is a word for us. And we're going to claim that word and we're going to believe that those of us who are tired are going to walk out of here refreshed. Those of us who are discouraged are going to walk out of here encouraged. Those of us who are depressed are going to walk out of here filled with joy. Those of us who came in like a weeping willow, you're going to be reminded that you are an oak of righteousness because that's what my God says. See, because if God says it, I believe it. If God says it, I believe it. I don't have to see it. I may not feel it, but I know that I believe it. Well, I love this theme because we're all inspired. How many of you have seen The Greatest Showman? Yeah, I'm sorry for those of you who have not. This is your assignment for the week. Go watch the movie. But I believe it inspired all of us because it's a theme of being who you are and doing what you love without any shame right, being who you are and doing what you love without any shame, without any hindrance, being willing to go against the grain of the world, being willing to step outside of the status quo, being everything you've ever dreamed about. You know, I, I love to talk to children and I love to ask them, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut, You know, nobody, I tell kids all the time, nobody in this room, when I go and I speak in the grade schools, I'll say, nobody, how many of you in this room want to grow up and be on drugs? No, nobody? Okay. How many of you want to be homeless? No, nobody. How many of you want to be in an abused relationship? No, nobody. How many of you want to live a life depressed, filled with anxiety, panic anxiety attacks, filled with anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, anybody, any kid in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, none of them? Because there's a dream in their heart. But somewhere along the way, and I talked to somebody tonight, something steals that. Something steals the seed of God that was woven inside of us while we were yet in our mother's womb. And I'm praying that there's a spiritual energy that wraps around that seed this weekend and brings it to life. That shoots, that shoots start to sprout out of that seed that's been there all along. This song, This Is Me, was was particularly impactful because it was the pivotal point. It was the pivotal point when they began to come into a place where their belief system began to change. See, I think we love this song. We love this song. You want to know why? Because it gives us permission to celebrate who we are. It gives us permission to be proud of who we are. It gives us permission to boast in who we are. Can, Can I be honest with you? And the, the church sometimes tells us to sit back down and not to be too haughty, right? And We talk about the world, but let's, let's just keep it real in here, ladies. Sometimes the religious will we the first ones to tell you to sit back down. I'm going to tell you the biggest mistake that I did, and I'm just going to be real with you. The biggest mistake that I did was the, the, the doctrine that I grew up in when I felt a call in my heart, and I felt like the Lord was saying, you're going to be a speaker. I have called you to be a prophet among the nations, and you're going to travel around the world, and you're going to speak nationally. Is God a liar? No, he's not. Okay, because that's what my life looks like now. But here's the deal. When I began to speak and share that with some of the people that were in my church... Well, if it's God's will. (laughs) Y'all, it was less than encouraging. Here's what I felt like. I felt like God was saying, baby, I have given you legs to get up and stand and walk on the water. Come and walk on it to me. And I went and I shared it with my friends and they said, sit your butt back down in that boat. Who do you think you are? Y'all, we've got to be careful. Careful. We've got to be careful that we're speaking words of life and encouragement. See, I I get the privilege of not just counseling people on a daily basis, but I'm a professional life coach too. And to the same degree in which I love counseling people through their wounds and their anchors that keep them from setting sail, to the same degree I love coming alongside people and blowing the wind of the Holy Spirit in those sails and watching them launch out into the future. Watching them launch out into what's been in them all along from the day they were a third grade, fourth grade, when they were itty-bitty. I'm talking about those things that you dream about, who you are. Y'all, this is nowhere in my notes. Keep seeing, it, I keep trying to go back to my notes. And I'm like, no, we're not there. Because God's here, right? But I love this song because it gives us permission to say, I'm more than okay with who I am. It gives us permission to say, I celebrate who I am. I'm falling in love with me. I'm fa- can I say that? Yes, I can say that. My, my most recent book is called To Love and To Be Loved. And the crux of the book is talking about in order to walk in healthy relationships, you have got to be in healthy relationship with you. God first, then you, then others. I know we talk about the whole joy, Jesus, others, you. I'm not buying it because the, the Bible I read says, you shall love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. You follow? So, I, I mean, I, 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 this joy thing is cute. It's real cute. But I'm going to tell you right now, I minister to people on a daily basis who are where they are because they put everybody else first. They have no boundaries. They have no, no, no self-ministry, no self-care, and they give everything away. It's poverty mentality, is what it is. It's poverty mentality. So the song in the movie carries to a whole new level of impact, in that it's being sung by people who were typically laughed at, ridiculed for the way that they were. You know, there was a woman with a beard. There was a there was a midget. There was a biracial woman, which was culturally unacceptable. Their very creation, the core of who they were, was being mocked and being shamed. They were considered freaks of nature. And we love, this, we love this, this song because this is the moment that they begin to say, this is who I am. This is me. Look out because here I come. I'm not scared to be seen. No more apologies. This is me. I am not a freak of nature. I'm a creation of Christ. I am a creation of the almighty creator, the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords. And let me tell you, ladies, he doesn't make mistakes. And we hear this. I know y'all have heard this. And we're hearing it. And then we're like, but how do I get there? Man, how do I connect that dot? That's why I got to teach you. That's why I got to teach you. I'm trying to keep myself from getting to the finale tomorrow when we talk about celebrating ourselves. I got to teach you. I've got to teach you. But see, listen, listen, they wrestled with the looks, the stares, the perceptions of those around them their entire life. Everybody say with me this word, perception. perception. They wrestled with the perception. And they are first, when we're first introduced to them in the, me- in the movie, we see that they have settled in to those perceptions. And what we say that is means the perception of the world becomes their paradigm in which they live. It, the perception of the world develops the pattern in which they have chosen to live their lives. You follow? So they have settled into this perception, and it has become their paradigm or their identity. They have agreed with the perceptions of all of the world has said to them. But then a man, a man enters into their lives and takes their greatest places of shame, their point of vulnerability, and he shines a light on it. Come on. He shines, he takes their greatest point of vulnerability and he shines a light on literally putting them on a stage with spotlights saying, everybody look, everybody look, taking their greatest, I know, I know every single one of us in here has a point of vulnerability. I know I'm, I look all wrapped up in a pretty little bill, y'all, but I got my own things. I got my own stuff, Okay. And if you get to know me, I'll, I'll shine some lights on it. But the reality is we do everything we can to keep a light from being shown on those places, do we not? But here we have a man that says, I see you, I see your weakness, I see what people say, and I want to put you on a stage and I want to shine a light on it. That doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. And while it sounds cruel, his care of them, and listen to me, And the belief that he has in them. See, he believes in them. See, some of us think our whole life is about us believing in God. But before you can believe in God, you got to know he believes in you. You've got to know he believes in you. He he thinks more of you than you think of yourself. He sees greater things in you than you see in yourself. We think about the story of Abraham. When he climbed the mountain and he was going to sacrifice Isaac. Scripture doesn't say, I'm not going to tell you what Scripture says if it doesn't, but I'm going to tell you what I think, okay? So this is what I think. I think that God knew Abraham had what it took, but I think he knew that Abraham needed to know, I've got what it takes. See, a lot of us will say, "I will fo- even to the death, God, I would follow you. Yes, God, here I am. Send me. And then God begins to bring things into our lives. And we think, oh, I would never be able to do that or I would never be able to do this. And God says, she doesn't know what she doesn't know. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. So we're going to let her climb a mountain and we're going to call her to great sacrifice because I need her to know what's within her. I need her to know the strength and the courage that's within her. I need her to know the level of sacrifice and obedience that's within her. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. Right? To the same degree in which Jesus was able to to walk with the Lord is the same degree in which we're able to walk with the Lord. And so his belief in them fills them with hope and courage. And ultimately they shift from seeing themselves through the eyes of those around them. See... Man's perception will begin to mold us into something that we are not. See, man's perception will become our paradigm. But here's what I want you to know. Their core belief about who they were was changed by one man who saw something different. Listen, the world missed it. The world missed it. The world will miss it. When I talked to those ladies and I said, this is what I feel like, they missed it. They missed it. Do you remember Anna and Simeon that stood in the temple all day long, fasting and praying, never leaving the temple? Anna did. And all these people were coming to church, and in comes baby Jesus, and everybody missed it except for one woman except for one woman, because she had been saturating herself in the presence of the Lord, and she had eyes to see. And when God begins to open up your eyes to see who you are, the world won't see it. And we've got to stop asking the world how they feel about it, what they think about it. Because God hasn't put his perception of you in the eyes of man. He's put his perception of you in your heart. He's put his perception of you in his heart. Of course, you all know where I'm going with this. Hugh Jackman, in a lot of ways, is, represents the godlike figure in the movie. See, he came in and he capitalized. Listen to me. He capitalized on their weakness, and he turned it into their strength. Anybody know a scripture that I'm, I'm going to preach right now? Because the word says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. What? In your what? In your weakness. My power is made perfect in your what? My, the place that we're trying to hide, God says, baby, let me shine a light through that. See, the, the, the devil's really got us here, ladies. He's got, he really got us here. Where we keep our most powerful point in the spirit hidden because we fear the flesh. And we fear perception of man. We fear the, profession, the, the perception of man. It says, therefore, listen to me, it says, therefore, I will boast. Everybody say, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly. No, listen, we're talking about permission to celebrate. This isn't any different than the song. This is me. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm going to boast. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to sing. I'm going to dance. I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest, hover over me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses, in, result, in insults, in hardships, in persecutors, in, in difficulties. And it says, for when I am weak, then I am weak strong. See, God doesn't see what we see. When he looks at the weakness of our flesh, he sees our strength. His perception of what is weak and what is strong is completely different than what the world would tell us. It's completely different. I recently watched a TED Talk, and it was called the art. Did anybody watch TED Talks in here? Yeah, I'm kind of addicted. Kind of a TED Talk Nazi. It, says, it was called The Art of Being Yourself, and the speaker talked about how all of life is basically all about discovering who we really are. Whether you're a believer or not, everybody is looking to answer the question, who am I? This is not, this is not just a topic for believers. I, I get the opportunity to, as much as I love speaking within the church, I speak in the world and in government and education as well, and it's the same stuff. It's the same thing. Truth is truth. I don't care if you believe it or not. God is your Lord whether you call him Lord or not. Come on. Truth is truth. They don't have to change my message. Because everybody has the same desperation and the same stirring, the the same questions burning in their heart. Whether you're a believer or not, everybody wants to know, who am I? What is my purpose? What is my call? What keeps me up at night and what excites me? And how do I get there? Everybody has those same yearnings. Why? Because eternity is set in the heart of every man. Eternity is set in the heart of every man. So the problem is that we battle with multiple perceptions. We battle with the perception of man, which is who people say that we are and their interpretation. Listen to this. Now, we also battle with our self-perception, which is who we think we are or how we interpret ourselves. And then, of course, there is the perception of God, who God says we are. And listen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And then he says this, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. Because when I do, I, I find myself either innocent or guilty, right? But he says, for I know nothing against myself. But, I, but yet I am not justified this, but God is the one who judges me. He is the Lord. Now, I, now, now, let me just give you a practicality here. Let me just keep it real because I'm giving you truths and you're like, what does this have to do with my life? I'm going to tell you what it has to do with your life. How many of you have children in the room? How many of you have ever had a child come home and say, Susie said I'm stupid? Right? And uh, uh, as mothers, we say, oh, sweetheart, that's not true. Mommy doesn't think you're stupid. What do you think? Do you think you're stupid? Right? We think we're doing good mothers' skills. I don't care what mommy thinks. And frankly, I don't care what, what she thinks. I care what God thinks. Okay? So if you're a mother in the room, don't ask them how they think about themselves because they're going to find themselves innocent whether they're guilty or not. Right? Or once they become teenagers, they're going to always find themselves guilty because they're already struggling with guilt and shame. Right? That's why we have cutters. I'm just keeping it real in the room, y'all, because this is what I do for a living. All right? So at some point, things flip. Some things, fling, some, point, some things flip, and we go from one side to I'm always innocent, and I'm always good, and I didn't do anything, and Johnny made me do it, too. I can't do anything Right? God, where's the middle ground? The enemy's got us at such a young age. And I'm telling you, we've got to start teaching our kids when they are this big that Susie's perception doesn't matter. Frankly, mommy's perception doesn't matter. And you know what? Your, your perception doesn't matter. The only perception that matters here is God's. And when we can teach our kids to shift, not from man, not to, from mommy, not to self, but to God, now you'll teach a child how to walk in the victory of the Lord. Come on, we've got to raise up a child while they are still young, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. We've got to start teaching people the perception of God, and it's vastly different from our own self-perception. It really just is. So why is perception so important? Now listen, this is where I'm going to teach you. You've got to get this. And I'm going to tell you, I told Denora, I said, ooh, the Lord gave me some sweet revelations in this message, and I've been getting all kinds of conviction, but let me tell you what, I've been getting all kinds of freedom. All kinds of freedom. I don't know if y'all see chains dropping all around me, but that's because the Lord has been setting me through, through, the, through this message. But here's what I want you to hear me saying. Perception is what, you, is, is what you interpret. It's what you see through your senses. So perception is what you see. Everybody say what you see. All right. It's, it involves how you feel it involves how you feel and it is your un- of an understanding of a given situation a person or an object so i just gave you the definition of perception it's what i see filtered through how i feel th- filtered through my senses so what i'm seeing what i'm feeling what i'm sensing come on ladies we're good at sensing stuff right okay so it, my perception is is what i think based on how I feel filtered through my my senses, okay? Now listen, the perception of your reality ultimately controls your perspective, which is your point of view. Everybody say perspective. Okay, so your perception is what I feel and it ultimately is what creates my perspective, which is my point of view. Well, it's my point of view. And, And you know what? Our point of view is our truth, is it not? I'm telling you, I I, I counsel couples, and the husband will walk in and he will tell a story and she will tell the story. And if they were in the same room and they're saying the same things, but they feel completely different about it. And I'm like, You're saying the same things, but the way they feel about what's being said, and therefore then their point of view of what really happened begins to shift, even though factually they're giving the same facts. It's the craziest thing, it's so demonic so demonic because my God is not a spirit of confusion. See, the enemy will confuse us, but God is clear as a bell. He is crystal clear. Why? Because he is the light, capital L, and he shines a light on any darkness and scatters any confusion. That's just who he is. So my perception alters my perspective, okay? Your perspective is is the lens in which, you, in which you see through which ultimately de- determines how you view situations, how you view people, and frankly, how you view you. Okay, follow with me now. I have a perception that's filtered through how I feel, right, that I've established by through my senses and how I feel and it is how I perceive something that therefore then becomes my point of view about how my perspective on how I feel about me. Okay, now listen to me. Then your, percept- your perspective shapes your pattern of living, which we call your paradigm. It becomes the paradigm in which you live. It's the pattern by which you live and breathe It is the core of your being and how you behave. Okay, now I'm going to back it up for a minute because this is the revelation. Are you ready for the revelation? At the base of all of that is your belief. Okay, so listen to me. Your core belief will navigate. I didn't say belief, but your core beliefs will navigate How you perceive something, what you perceive, and therefore then how you see it and will become your paradigm. I'm going to teach you all week about this. I'm going to keep saying it. Because here's what I want you to hear me saying. How your perception is predetermined based on what you already believe. Hear me. If I already believe I'm unlovable, I will perceive lack of love in every relationship that I have. That will become my perception, and we like to say my perception is my truth, right? My perception is my reality, which it is, but that does not make it true. Okay, so I tell people this all the time. I sat with a woman this week, and she kept saying, well, I perceive that he is not really loving me when he does that. And I said, but here's the problem, sweetheart, I've been counseling you for 12 weeks, and your core lie is that you are rejected and unloved. So you're perceiving through the fact that you are not loved, and therefore you have determined that he does not love you no matter what he does. That is the paradigm in which you have chosen to settle in, and it doesn't matter what he does. See, we don't have a Johnny-Jane issue, we got a Jane-God issue here. So Johnny, you can be dismissed. Uh, I mean, some, some, she, they didn't come back. I just want you. To <laughs> <laughs> she texted me the next day and was like, We're not going to need your services anymore. <laughs> so, but here's the deal your core beliefs will predetermine what you see, how you see it. It will predetermine your perception, it will predetermine your perspective, and ultimately, your core beliefs will form your paradigm. It will become the paradigm in which you live. So here's my my deal. The reality over here, remember I keep saying, oh, but here's my reality over here. And it's so far away from what I know to be true. This is my paradigm. This is what I'm living in. All the way over here is truth that we know. But somewhere in the core of our heart, we struggle with lining up and allowing it to be the belief system by which I live. And allowing it to be the belief system. So if we're going to change this, see a lot of us are like, I'm going to change this. I want to change this. I want to change this. You can't change this until you change this. Until you change this. Now listen, I told Denora today because I said this is going to be a big message. This is going to be a deep message, and I'm not. I'm not trying to sell you guys anything except I want you to get this. Okay. So there are things that you can do on a practical basis, on a daily basis, using the scriptures to minister to your soul. Right? You know that the word says that it's the implantation of the word of God that sanctifies, rescue with the soul. Your soul is your personality, it's your mind, your will, your emotion, your thinker, your feeler, and your picker. Right? I got a thinker, a feeler, picker issue. Okay? Because God's got a thinker, a feeler, and a picker about how he thinks, what he feels, and what he chooses for my life. And way over here is what I think, how I feel, and what I want for my life. You follow? And so all of life is using the word of God to bring an alignment, to reconcile my thinker, my feeler, my picker with God's thinker, feeler, and picker so that I'm walking in the spirit in everything that I do and every thought that I have is like the thought of Christ. Every motion that I have is like the emotion of Christ. Every choice that I make is in the perfect will of God and I am one with Christ. That's what it means to be hidden in the cross. That's what it means to Enoch, which means to be, be with me no more. We call that Enoch and with God. Remember it says he walked with God so intensely that he was no more. That's what it means to be Enoch and with God. That I'm thinking like God because I have the mind of Christ. That I'm feeling like God because my stony heart has been replaced with the heart of Christ. That I've had the outpouring of the love of God poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit. That every choice that I make is being navigated by the Holy Spirit through the obedience of the word. I like to tell my clients all the time that life is kind of like a bowling alley, right? And we're, we're, we're making choices and it's like rolling a ball down. And if you want to be sure, if you want to be sure that you're going to hit the pins every time, we get, the, we get the things that you put in the gutter, the bumpers, right? You want to know what your bumpers are? Your obedience. Come on, let's just get, keep it straight. Because if you want to be sure you're going to hit a pin every time, walk in the fullness of the Lord. Now listen to me, obedience doesn't always feel good but it fits right, it fits right. Because I think we're looking for a feel-good walk with the Lord, I'm not looking for a feel-good walk with the Lord, because the God I know says, hey, it's gonna be, there's gonna be some discomfort here, and there are gonna be times when there's gonna be some delusional moments, where you're like, God is calling me outside of my box, outside of my comfort zone, he is stretching me, that's what it means to be a new wineskin. It means I'm flexible for the movement of the Holy Spirit that God's going to call me outside of the natural and into the super. Come on now, there's a super on your natural, and until you step outside this natural, you're not going to hit the super. You're not going to hit the super. And we're talking about stretching outside of that and getting into this discomfort place where only the Holy Spirit has to work. Remember the fisherman in Luke chapter 5 when he says, launch out into the deep. Launch out into the deep. Listen, here we have a carpenter, a man who knows nothing about fishermen. We have fishermen who have been out all night. They've been fishing and they've been failing. Can I just say that? They have been failing. They're tired. They've come in. The Bible says they've been cleaning up their nets and they're packing up and they're ready to go home. And here we have this haughty carpenter that just shows up and is like, hey, why don't you just launch out into the deep? First of all, you don't fish in the deep. Come on, let's keep it real. I would have been like, excuse me, but I have an attitude. So (laughs) we're working that out. Those are some of the chains. So here's the thing. He's like, launch out into the deep. A, you don't fish in the deep. B, you don't fish during the day. See, we're tired, and we are in a place of failure right now. We haven't caught a thing. And so finally it says, at your word, now listen to me. They said, at your word, we will do it. That word, word there, means Ramo word. Mean means, <gasps> there's a revelation here, but there's a key statement here, and that is, I will do it. I will do it. Listen, I can coach you. I can counsel you all day long, and I'm a good coach and a good counselor, but unless you do it, not, ain't nothing going to change in your life. Ain't nothing going to change in your life. I'm not going wa- to waste your time. I'm not going to waste your money. You're not going to waste my time. And I will be the first person to tell you that you're not doing what I tell you to do. And when you're ready to be serious, come back to me. You you follow? So this key phrase, they said, at your word, I will do it. They launch out into the deep. And here's what I want you to hear me saying. As they get out there, the one tool that they were confident in was their what? Net. And the Bible says that their nets began to break. Why? Because God wanted to put a super in their natural. And in order to do something supernatural, he had to bust through the natural but Come on, that's a good word. That wasn't in my notes, ladies. He had to bust right through the natural in order to show them the super. And until you cut through, till you let the natural break, till you come to the place where you're exhausted, but at your word, God, I will do it. Come on now. I'm talking to people in this room that are exhausted, and you're ready to give up. You're discouraged, and you're ready to give up. And God says, now we're ready to step into the super. Because when you run out of soul, that's when you step into the spirit. But we got to run out of soul first. A lot of us are doing a lot of soul ministry. And we're, we're tired and we're exhausted. We call that burning from the wick instead of the oil. See, when you're not staying saturated in the Holy Ghost, saturated in the oil of God, saturated in the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to burn from your soul. Do things that feel good, things that you think you should do. You will be a Martha whom Jesus reproved. Have you guys ever heard people say, oh, she's just a Martha? Like, that's a good thing. (laughs) That's not a compliment, y'all. Don't say that about your friends. (laughs) Like, we justify that. Well, she says that's just the way she's wired. No, 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 ma'am. Because if Jesus, Jesus wasn't wired that way, then neither am I. Okay? So if Jesus wasn't wired that way, then, then neither was I. And so we've got to come to a place where we're a Mary and he says, she has chosen the one thing that is necessary. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says she has chosen the one thing that is necessary. The one thing that is now. Ne- Can I simplify your life for you tonight? There's one thing that is necessary for you, one thing, and that is for you to bow at the feet of Jesus, get yourself saturated in the Holy Ghost, and when you get up, you will be leaping, jumping, and filled with an energy, the energy that the, the energy, energy, the Greek word, which is a supernatural energy that doesn't come because I've been working out and eating a lot of protein. It comes because I've been saturating myself in the Holy Ghost. And that's what we're looking, that's what we're talking about here. Y'all, this is nowhere in my notes, nowhere. But it's good stuff. Praise you, Jesus. So listen, your paradigm will become your personality. Remember the Bible says, for as a man thinketh, so is he. Right? Our core belief, as you think about yourself, so you will become. We call that a self-fulfilling prophecy. The things that you're thinking about, I tell people all the time, take inventory of your thoughts because whether you like it or not, you're speaking to yourself all day long. I give people assignments where they look in the mirror and they speak truth. And they're like, oh, that's weird. I can't do it. Well, you know what? You're talking. It's weird to talk to yourself, oh, I, you're doing it anyways. You're doing it anyways. Anybody ever say, was oh, stupid. Oh, if I could just get my crap in together. That's what we're doing. We're talking to ourselves. But those thoughts, even those examples that I just gave, I guarantee you, they, don't, they are not in line with God's thinker, feeler, and picker. Because God never looks. at oh, you're stupid. Never, never. Yet we accept that conversation in our own heart and in our mind. And I'm telling you, as you think, so you will become. In your own mind, you are developing your paradigm. And so we've got to let ourselves be washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Listen, the problem is too many times we allow the world's paradigm to become our point of view. We allow the perceptions or the feelings of those around us to define our beliefs. Ultimately, who we are, how we feel, who I'm going to vote for. Listen, you know, our millennial generation, they they live it completely backwards. Here's the paradigm my paradigm becomes my perspective, my perspective forms my perception, and that's where I get my core beliefs. We are in danger. The kingdom of heaven is in danger. It's being taken with force because there is an inside out that the enemy has got us living by. And with force, we must take it back. But we have to start here and say, I have a core belief. I have a core belief, and I know it to my soul. It's saturated in my being, and it navigates what I think, it navigates how I feel, it navigates my point of view, and it has become my paradigm. You follow? And that's when the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, and he will give it to you generously without finding fault. Y'all, that's a promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask who? God, and he will. Everybody say, he will. He will give it to me generously without finding fault. No questions asked. See, that's what he's saying. When you need wisdom, when you need to know what you think, when you need to know what to believe, when you need to know what to do, don't ask the world, ask me. And I promise you, I promise you. See, we've got to pull on the hem of that promise. And that's what I want to teach you. I want to teach you how to put your hand out and put a demand on the promises of God and say, I need that promise. And I'm pulling it in. I'm practicing the authority that God has given to me. And I'm saying, that wisdom is mine. That wisdom is mine. That dream is mine. That relationship is mine. That job is mine. That healing is mine. That joy is mine. That hope is mine. See, God gives us the authority. He invites us and says, pull on the hem of God. Pull on the hem of God and put a demand on it. Because here's what you want to know. It is impossible for us to live in a perceptionless world, but in God, we can live perception-free. In God, we can live perception-free. For God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Now listen to me. And he raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenlies in Christ. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is important because I'm about to tell you a whole new perspective. So, we talked about perception. I'm about to give you a new perspective, a new point of view. This word is telling me I am seated in the third heavens. You understand there are three heavens. Let me teach you. Let me teach you here. We've got the first heavens here on earth, we've got the second heavens where the angelic and the demonic realm is, and then we've got the third heavens where Christ is seated. And the word of God says, I'm seated in the, seated in the third heavens with Christ upon high, which means I am above all looking down in a position of authority. You follow? I can't make this stuff up. It's too good. I'm not that smart. He's saying, I have raised you up and I've given you a a new perspective, a new point of view. And it's a point of view from victory where you get to look down and say, hey, soul. You know what David was doing when he said, what's up with you, soul? Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God for I will yet rejoice. See, he steps outside of this, comes up here and says, ooh, let me remember my position in Christ. Let me remember my authority. Let me remember and remember my right as a child of God. And let me speak to my soul and tell it what to do. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking authority, y'all. Let me, can I just share with you? I had clinical depression with panic anxiety attacks for 11 years. You would have never caught me on a stage speaking. And God was giving me visions of this. And I had a knowledge of what God was saying, but there was a reality, and I had to work my way to this place and figure it out by the word of God, being sanctified by the word of God, putting it into practice, not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of word. See, the scripture says, if you are a hearer only, you're deceiving yourselves. We sit in church hearing and nodding. Hearing and nodding, yeah. Yeah. Preach it, sister, yeah, and our emotions and our soul gets all fired up, but I'm calling forth a supernatural bust in the soul and into the spirit. See, I can't do it. God can do it. Only you can do it, God. You do it right now in the name of Jesus. The Word of God just piercing and penetrating, going beyond the thought, the emotion, And into the spirit, the deep, calling into the deep right now in Jesus' name. God, we're calling on you to move in this room. Do what only you can do. See, God says, you roll away the stone, but then I'll raise the dead. You do what I tell you to do, and I'll do what you can't do. You bring me your two fish and your five loaves, and I'll multiply. But until you do what you can do, I can't meet you with what's impossible. Until you bring me everything that you've got in the natural, I can't bust through and get into the supernatural. You follow? That's what God is saying. So he says in 2 Corinthians, so from now on, huh, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Oh, you mean I don't have to respond in anger? Oh, you mean I, when somebody comes to me and is like, you know, Lisa, I'm just offended. I, I will probably cut you off and say that's your fault. <laughs> Y'all, I'm prophetic. No mercy, all profit. Okay. <laughs> but it's for your good. You need to hear this stuff, right? I feel like it's for your good. But the reality is, if I regard you, Denora, no longer according to the flesh, and you come to me and you're, let's say you're, you're upset with me, you, you're angry with me, and I go back and I seek the Lord and I say, I don't want to regard her according to her behavior and to her flesh. God, give me eyes to see her spirit. Give me eyes to see and understand what's going on. Father, why is she, why did she lie to me? Listen, I tell parents all the time, my kid's a liar. Well, maybe you should ask yourself what you've done to not cultivate an atmosphere where they feel free to be honest. Because if we're cultivating freedom for somebody to be honest and not feel judged, not feel criticized, not feel attacked, they will not lie. And see, here's the beauty. This is not to condemn you. It's to empower you. It means I don't have to be navigated by everybody around me. I get to live my life in response to the spirit. Listen, this is all in my third book. I'm not selling you my book, but I want you to get the message, okay? Listen, we live our life mirroring the spirits of people, which frankly is demons. You got anger? I got anger. She said this, and then I said that. He did this, and then I did that. Well, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. We're playing checkers. With spirits. When God says, I've positioned you to see a strategy of a chess board and to play according to heavenly strategies, and you don't have to be offended. You get to respond in love. You get to respond in grace. You get to forgive the unforgivable. You get to love the loveless, the unlovable, you get to extend mercy to the merciless. You get to be faithful to the faithless. Why? Because God was. And if God is in me, then I can do it too. Amen. See, when people say, well, I just can't, I'm like, mm, no, you won't. But let's, let's adjust your phrase here. I understand it feels like you can't, but we don't live by feel, we live by faith. We don't live by perception. We live by Christ. I'm just trying to empower you here because tomorrow we're going to be talking about pulling in your design. Because everybody here this weekend has a dream in their heart. Everybody in here has a, this is what I want to do, it's what I've always wanted to do. And somewhere, either you have felt blocked, something has oppressed you, you've given up on it, you've been afraid, someone's told you to sit back down. But this week, we're going to pull that design in. Because it's time for the people of God to raise up. See, God is prophesying to the bones and saying, come to life. Speak to the bones and they shall come to life. Raise up, O army of God. Wake up, O sleeper. See, because of people without a vision, they perish. And the enemy knows that. He doesn't have to steal your life. He can't. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? He steals your vision. He steals your passion. He steals your design. Because if he does that, then we stop building. That's what they did in the temple. In the the book of Ezra, when they were building, and they came, and it says that the people from all around came, and they frustrated the purpose of of the plan. They frustrated them. And the building of the temple came to a halt. That's what it says in the book of Ezra. They're building the temple, and everything. they've resurrected the altar. They've built the foundation, and all the enemies around came and set out. It says that they hired counselors to frustrate their plans. Look it up. I'm not making this up. They hired, we're talking about demonic activity, to frustrate your plan, and the building came to a halt, and there it sat. Come on, I'm talking to somebody in this room because this is not in my notes. I'm like on page one, a four-page message. I told you all we were going to be here for three hours. (laughs) So here's the deal. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. I'm talking about you and the way you see yourself. This means ultimately changing how you see yourself starts with what you believe. It starts with what you believe. Just like those people in The Greatest Showman, they all had talents, but it wasn't their gifts and their talents that got them to the top. It was what they believed about who they were. See, they could have had those gifts and those talents, but if they hadn't had a belief change, then their paradigm would not have changed. Are you following it's, it, the paradigm changed because their belief, their core belief about who they were and the beauty of their creation is what changed. And you see their paradigm shift, and it began to cause a shift around them. Listen, your paradigm, this is what it means when God says that we are to make disciples among the nations. I think we read that and say, oh, we're supposed to make disciples in the nations no, 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 no. God has created. It is his infinite will that the people of God, the kingdom people, would be influencing nations. This is why in the Old Testament you always saw a prophet next to a king. Because the prophet was whispering in the king, giving him the influence of, the go- of God, of the kingdom. Influencing and navigating government structure, government policies, the way education would be run. We've lost our influence. Come on, we've lost our influence because we've lost our confidence. We've lost our belief. Our paradigm is no longer influencing and setting the tone of the paradigm of the world. Instead, we're being set by the world's paradigm. And we've got to start by our belief system. There's many, many scriptures. There are stories in scripture where women allowed the perception of the world to become their truth. To mold who they were and dictate their paradigm in life. But let me talk, end with this. i want to talk to you for a minute about the woman in John chapter 4. The woman at the well, it's one of my favorite stories. You guys will hear me say that all weekend, my staff story. Like you say that about every story. And I'm like, because the Bible's good, all right? It's all my favorite. Let's just settle with that. Her paradigm, her identity was based on the perception of man. Here we have a woman who, now listen. We hear in this story that this woman had had five men, five husbands, and the man she now lived with was not her husband. So we, we even as readers, often go, oh, she was an adulterer, she was a whore, she was a slut, and we, you know, oh, and all this stuff. But what we don't realize, if we, do our, if we do our history and do our due diligence, is we will realize in the culture of that day, only man had the power to marry and to divorce. So here we have a woman who had been married and divorced by those men five times and the man she was now currently living with was not willing to marry her for whatever reason. So I would like to propose to you that we don't have an adulteress, we have a very rejected, unloved woman who was so ashamed, so filled with condemnation that when all the rest of the world was going to the well, she waited until there was nobody there because she could no longer handle the mockery, the perceptions, the talks, the stares of the people. And she went when nobody else was there, and while she's there, she meets a man. And she begins to have a conversation. Do you realize that's the longest conversation recorded in the Bible is the conversation in John chapter 4, you're welcome, between a man and a woman, Jesus, who was willing to say, forget the perceptions of the world, forget what the culture says, forget that you're a Samaritan, forget that you're a woman, forget that I'm a priest, I'm going to engage with you. And listen, where does he go after? He goes after her most vulnerable spot. Her most vulnerable spot. The one place that she tried to hide and he went right for it. Why? Because connection requires vulnerability. And he wanted to connect with her. And so in that spot, in her most vulnerable spot, he connects with her. So here we have a woman comes in clearly with the belief system that I am no good. I am not loved. I am not worth crap. Can I say crap in the church? Okay, thanks. <laughs> if that's as bad as it gets, we're in good shape. Okay, it's not where I work with homeless people, remember? Okay, so. I is not worth anything according to the perception of society, according to the law in society, according to what the world has told me. I am worthless. I have no value. That was her paradigm. How do I know? Because it controlled the way she lived her life. She wouldn't dare go to the well when everybody else was there because her belief system wouldn't let her. But in a moment, she has an encounter with somebody who shifts presents to her something completely different. And it's like when the water was turned into wine in the middle of a vessel, we don't know when it happened, we don't know how it happened, but there was an outpouring that was changed, that was richer, that something ordinary was turned into something extraordinary. And in a moment, in an encounter with Jesus, not only is her belief system changed, but we see that belief system change her paradigm. Because the Bible says that she went back and not only did she stand with confidence and with boldness, but she spoke about the one point of vulnerability. Come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. In case you, oh, you've never heard? Oh, gosh, I've, I've buried five men, and I'm living with this guy. Now. Oh, yeah. But listen to me. Listen to me. This woman, her circumstances are not what changed. Her belief system is what changed her belief system changed and her paradigm was altered and she began to become an influencer that began to shift the paradigm of the entire town of Samaria listen i'm talking about the, to somebody in this room her greatest weakness became her point of influence her greatest weakness became her greatest strength an entire Paradigm shift took place. See, she didn't have a rejection issue, issue. She had a belief issue. She had a heart issue. And what she believed in her heart spilled out into her life and began to alter the way she lived her life. When we believe we are rejected, worthless, and lovable, unlovable, we will attract people who will reject you, who will treat- Listen, listen to me. We call it a spiritual algorithm. You cultivate, you teach people. You teach and train people how to teach you by the way you behave, by the way you speak about yourself, by your paradigm, which ultimately is spilled out of formed, developed because of your core belief. And if at your core you believe you're not worth a penny, you're not worth a penny, you're not worth a penny, penny, (laughs) if at your core you believe that, That is going to affect your paradigm, which ultimately will teach and train people how to treat you. And guess how they're going to treat you? Like you're not worth a penny. This is what we call generational curses, right? Because there's an algorithm that is stirred up within a family lineage, and it keeps spinning, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And it's like this demonic Tornado that just begins to get bigger and bigger and influences and it sucks people into that rejection and it sucks people into that worthlessness and it sucks people into that self pity and it sucks people into that condemnation and it sucks you into guilt and it sucks you into all to shame and that is not from God but in the middle of that tornado there is an eye and in that eye is your belief your core belief what Do you believe? Loving yourself is very important and that will be the premise of tomorrow. Falling in love with you. Giving you permission to boast in your design. To be confident in your gifts. I have had to teach and train myself when people say that was a great message to say thank you. Because unfortunately not the world but the church taught taught, taught me that that was haughty. That it's all God. Well, it's not that good, okay? Okay. Y'all spoke, sung amazingly. And sometimes I up to people I'm like, oh, you, man, man, you spoke, oh, it's God. And I want to be like, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but see, we've come to a place where we can't even accept a compliment. You know, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Where's that balance between bo- boasting in the Lord and erring to the side of arrogance, Right. But I'm afraid that we've taught humility to the point of humiliating our God design, humiliating the gifts of God, humiliating our call. See, this woman was like, come and meet the man. I have no more shame. I've been set free because I've had an encounter with a love that has shifted my core belief. And here's what I want you to hear me saying. The perception of those people didn't change. Hers did. Her circumstances didn't change. Her heart changed. Think with me for a moment about Hagar, and then I'm going to close. Here we have a woman in the Old Testament. I've had something in my eye for like 10 minutes, so I'm trying to hold my eye open. We have this woman in the the Old Testament who is used, sexually abused. Come on, let's keep it real. Here's my maidservant. Take her. She wasn't asked. You can have her. She does everything she's asked to do, and she bears a son, and then she's mocked for it. She's abused for it. She's thrown out into the desert for doing what she's been told to do. And God finds her out in the desert, in her wilderness, meets her in her greatest hour of need. He speaks her name. And he begins to speak to her, and he says, I have a blessing for you too. And in that encounter, things change for her. But here's what I want you to hear me saying. God sent her back into her abusive environment. Now, I'm not telling you if you're in an abusive environment to go back. That's not what I'm telling you. But I'm telling you that there are going to be authority figures out there like David and Saul who are less than sweet. Okay, Or there are circumstances that you're going through that feel very, very oppressive. But God wasn't interested in changing Hagar's circumstances. He was interested in changing her. And the change that he brought into her life had to start here. See, because I believe she went back. Scripture doesn't say this, but I believe she went back and the new confidence that she had of knowing, you can treat me however you want, but God says I'm going to get a blessing too. See, a lot of us make fun of Ishmael's, but Ishmael was a blessed nation as well. God blessed him too. We're experiencing that in our government, right? So, but here's what I want you to hear me saying. God isn't interested in changing your paradigm this weekend, He's interested in changing your heart. And as your heart begins to shift, as you begin to come into an alignment with God's heart, this will just happen. See, a lot of us are working too hard. We're working too hard. And here's what I can tell you about the Lord in my own life. I'm going to give you a little testimony here that God continuously speaks to me that the yoke of the Lord is easy and his promise and his burden is light. And when I begin to feel myself being burdened, being heavy loaded, working too hard, I know that somewhere I have stepped away from this. God, can, I just, can I just simplify it for you? let's not worry about this okay? because tomorrow we're going to pull that in but we got to start here and we're going to stand from here we're going to reach out and we're going to pull it in but if all we ever do is try and do this over here and work all this out we're going to be exhausted and we're going to run out of soul we're going to run out of soul so would you stand with me y'all can do whatever you want to do because I'll just keep doing what I do just saying. And we'll flow. The Holy Spirit will work it out. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm just prophetically, I just want you to prophetically just picture your belief system, even just right in front of you. And I want you to begin to hear what God is saying about who you are. See, we know this, this is a knowledge. See, the Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that word know means to become one with or to recognize by personal experience. For it to become your reality because it's more than what you know. See, knowledge doesn't set you free, right? Reality sets you free. You shall know by, you shall recognize truth by personal experience. And that's the truth that will set you free. Who do the people say that I am? Some say you're this. Some say you're that. But what about you? Who do you say that he is? Who has he been for you? And who do you need him to be for you? Because tonight, you have the right as children of God. That's the word ephousia in the Greek. It means I have the right as children of God to step in to the blessings of the kingdom to understand that I am co-heir with Christ. I don't care if you feel it. Put your feelings aside right now, everybody. Just take your heart and just put them aside. Take your mind, all your thoughts, put it aside. This is not a time for thinking and feeling. This is time for the depths of the Spirit to speak to the depths of your spirit right now in Jesus' name. I'm just calling forth a supernatural work. You do it, God. God, I can't do it. You do it, Lord. We're just making room for you. We're making room for you. Stop thinking yep you do it God so I just want you to just I just want you to just begin to see yourself flowing and moving in just kind of that that beautiful peaceful nothing place see we're just going to prophetically step in there that's how we pull that's how we put a demand on what we know so we're just waiting on the Holy Spirit We're just waiting on the Holy Spirit.